0: We've been in our sermon series, started last September, and we've just been walking through the story of the Bible. We started in Genesis, and we've just been looking at the major stories in um, this grand story, and and not just at the individual stories, but the purpose of this study, we've said, is to know God as he reveals himself to us in this story, and and we want to see how these are not all just a bunch of random uh, moral tales or, or stories that God just sort of randomly chucked into the Bible. That they actually work together to tell this one grand narrative primarily about God, secondarily about us, and the relationship that we can have through him, and it only comes through Jesus. I once heard a guy, Timothy Keller, he said that you have not preached a text correctly until you've preached Christ in that text. And we see at the bottom of every verse, of every story, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And this morning is no exception. As we walk through this story, we've had these symbols that have helped us uh, remember our story. And and so if you haven't been with us after you see us do this, please still come back, uh, no matter how weird you might think we are. Okay, you remember with me, if you've been with us? story goes, God, creation, fall, promise, flood, tower, Patriarchs, Exodus, Law, Conquest, Judges, Kingdom, Divided, Exile, Return, Silence, and Jesus. There you are. Um, Next time, I I should, one of these times, I'm going to take the thing off the screen and see if you guys can remember. Um, Nobody will be here next week, at least the ladies or the guys, apparently. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this. I hide it pretty well, but um, true confession, uh, I'm a bachelor. I don't know if you guys had, I, I know, I know that I, I carry myself uh, unlike that. But I am, I am. And um, I'm guilty of a lot of bachelor stereotypes. So you open my fridge, and you're not going to find a lot. You're going to see some, some mustard, uh, some carrots. Uh, You might find some eggs. You're definitely going to find something moldy, right? Uh, And if you find some real food, it's leftovers from like a party I was at or from my parents' house, something like that. That's how you know I was out of my apartment. But the worst part, my most bachelory bachelor thing that I do is my trash. Um, Because it's only me, I don't take the trash out very often because I'm not putting a lot of trash in there. And so over the course of time, this trash really starts to stink, right? I have no idea why I'm still single. If you have any ideas, email me. Um, so here's, here's my typical bachelor solution. There's a smell. I'm just going to spray a ton of Febreze over the trash can and the smell goes away, right? Now, is that a good solution? It is not. And the reason, somebody said yes, you must be single too. Um, <laughs> The obvious reason that this isn't a good solution is because the problem ultimately is not the smell. What's the problem? It's the stinky, moldy, mustard, carrot, vegetable garbage that's in the trash, right? That's what needs to get taken out. And what we're going to see this morning is this, this principle that the problem determines the solution. The problem determines the solution. What you assess to be the problem will determine the solution that you chase to solve that problem. And similarly, in our lives, what we determine to be the problem when it comes to our sin will determine what solution we chase to solve that problem. And if we think that the primary issue with our sin is the things that we do, then we're we're going to search for external remedies. But what I think we're going to discover today in our text is that the problem is not primarily in what we do, but it goes deeper than that. It's it's a heart issue. And so often when it comes to our sin, we are trying to cure cancer with a Band-Aid. We're trying to make external solutions for internal problems. I have terrible hips. And what I need is not just Advil and a massage. Having said that, both of those would be great, especially on Sundays. But the problem is deeper. It's a structural bone issue. I need new hips. And what we're going to see today, and I want us to walk through, uh, Jesus is going to have this showdown with the Pharisees, okay? It it never goes well with Jesus and and the Pharisees. And what we're going to see here is that the Pharisees have misdiagnosed the problem with sin, and therefore, they're going after the wrong solution. My aim this morning is to show that what we are dealing with is an inside-out thing. That, that ultimately, when it comes to worship, or excuse me, when it comes to salvation, salvation happens from the inside out. It's not, it's, not that we, it's not the problem out here, it's the problem in here. Salvation is a heart issue because sin is a heart issue. I need to be saved from what's in here because sin is in here. It's not just out here in what I do because ultimately, at the bottom of that, worship is a heart issue. Salvation's a hard issue because sin is a hard issue, because worship's a, a hard issue. And we're going to unpack that today in our text in Mark chapter 7. We're actually going to go backward. We're going to start with worship being a hard issue. So, what we see in Mark chapter 7, I'll have the verses up here in the New Living Translation. You can feel free to follow along in your own. Um, there's, what we're going to see at the beginning of, of Mark 7 is this confrontation as the Pharisees come to Jesus. As always, they've got a beef with Jesus. And look at what it says, verse 1. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. Notice it says Jewish ritual. Okay, we'll come back to that. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions, rituals, traditions, they have clung to, such as their personal ceremonial washing of cups, pet pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Ritual, tradition, tradition ceremony. What we need to note here is this issue they have, they're mad because the disciples are not washing their hands before they eat. Now, understand this. This is not a sanitation issue, okay? This was, their beef is not, hey, you didn't teach your disciples. What do you teach your kids before they wash their hands? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Sing that twice. Is that what, I don't know, that's what they taught me in elementary ed. Uh, This is not an issue of sanitation. This was an issue of tradition tradition right you with me fiddler on the roof fans no great uncultured alaskan uh no (laughs) so so it's not an issue of sanitation it's an issue of tradition and uh let me explain the pharisees they literally wrote the book on, on um, when it comes to things that make you unclean. And there was, in the book of Moses, the law of Moses, there were all these things that could make somebody unclean. Certain things that you did, certain things that you touched, and they would make you, in God's eyes, according to the law, ceremonially unclean, meaning you had to go through some steps before you could worship rightly again, before you could engage the community again. But the Pharisees, they put this on steroids, and they took this to a, a degree that the law had never intended for it to go, in fact, they taught this crazy story that one of the issues of the, the reason they washed their hands is they believed that when you slept at night, there was this little demon named Shiptah, and Shibta would sleep on your hands, or would sit on your hands while you slept, and in the morning, if you didn't wash before you ate, that that demon would go from your hands to inside of your mouth, how freaky is that, right, So you you try that one on your kids. Wash your hands, Tommy, or a demon will enter you, right? (laughs) Happy birthday to you. You're freaking out, right? So this... Where did all this come from? Well, let's rewind for a second to see how the Pharisees got where they were here. Now, we go back to our story. Um, It says, remember in the law, when, when Moses, he gave the law to Israel from God, and what did God say? If you obey this law, I will bless you. And if you disobey this law... I will curse you. It was a covenant based on their behavior. Now, remember, we said that the law was, God knew that Israel wouldn't keep it. In fact, he gave it to them to show them their inability to do right in sight of God and to look forward to the deliverer that would rescue them from their evil. But what we see with Israel is they, sure enough, they disobey. We've gone through the story. And what happened? Because of their disobedience, they were cursed, just as God said. And so they were exiled into the land of Assyria and into Babylon. And then God, in his grace, he brings them back. They return into the land. He saves them from their enemies, restores them into the land of Israel. And there was this story where Ezra, one of the leaders, he finds the law. It's got a coat of dust on it because they haven't touched the law in years and he finds it, and he reads it to the people, and and there is this mass revival as they come back to God's way of living. But then what happens is the leaders start to say, man, we've got to make sure that we keep God's law, so what we're going to do is we're going to start to build this fence around the law to make sure that we keep the law. And then we're going to keep building more and more fences because they wanted to, it came from a good place. We want to do what God says, so we're going to build all these fences, make all these rules around the rules to make sure that we keep God's law. But this is where it started to get insane. So you remember those little Russian dolls where they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Okay, walk with me here, okay? I'm going somewhere, I promise you. Um, The law, okay, you see the law here. What they said is, we're going to protect this law. So we're going to put another kind of fence, another doll over top of it to protect it. And this is what we called the Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah was an interpretation or an expounding on the law. So there was all, they say, this is what God said, but this is what he really meant. And here's some other things we can do to make sure we don't do this law. Now, some of them made sense. Some of them were insane. Like, for example, he said, do not work on the Sabbath, right? Keep the Sabbath holy. That was one of God's laws. But what they said was, man, you know what? One of the things that we don't want you to do, if you, looked at a, if you happen to look in a mirror, you might see that you have a gray hair. And then you might be tempted to pull out that gray hair. And that would be work. Therefore, thou shalt not look into a mirror so this is this is this was this was their their mindset. You can't even look into a mirror because you, you might do work. They had 30 chapters in the Mishnah about how to wash a pot or a pan. I mean, you thought Leviticus was rough, right? I mean, so and then if that wasn't enough, nether doll. We gotta protect that. They had what they called the Gemara. And the Gemara was an explanation of the explanation of the law. Okay, now we've added to it. Then they took this thing called the Talmud. And the Talmud was a combination of the Mishnah and the Gemara. Okay, we're just adding more and more rules. And then they said, that's not enough. So we need to add a bunch of more rules to this thing. And it became the super Talmud, which was four times the original size. They kept writing down more rules, more laws, more interpretations. And then they take the Midrash, which was all that and a bag of rabbinic commentary, right? They take everything there and they stick it into this big, I mean, where have we gone? And so you're walking around with this book in your little radio flyer wagon, the size of a small child, and you go to do something. Well, let me see what the, you know, and try to read through this thing and see if I'm allowed to, how do we, it's chaos. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. The, the Pharisees started to elevate their own tradition over the word of God itself. In fact, you read in the Talmud, and, and, and it says for itself, it says that it is a greater, listen to this, it is a greater crime to transgress the words of the school of Rabbi Hillel than the words of Scripture. There are many quotes that I could have put up here that are very similar to that. They started to love their own traditions and ignore the heart of God's command. In fact, they took it to a salvation level. Look at this quote, Rabbi Tehanath. He said, whoever has his abode in the land of Israel, meaning he's a Jew, he lives in the land of Israel, and eats his food with washed hands may rest assured that he shall receive eternal life. He says, if you wash your hands before you eat and you're a Jew, you'll be saved. Makes you rethink the Purell before Señor Pancho's today, amen, right? <laughs> Going to heaven, washing my hands. I mean, that how left of center have we gone? They believed these traditions were how they would be saved. And so the accusation here against Jesus' disciples is not that they broke the law. is that they went against the traditions of man. And so Jesus, as you can imagine, did not take this sitting down. He, he, look at the condemnation that he, he brings on to the Pharisees. He says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. So here's hundreds of years in advance. Isaiah prophesied about these Pharisees and their, and their hypocrisy. He says, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And the word here that Jesus uses, he says hypocrites. In the Greek, that meant an actor. He says, you are pretending. You are putting on a show. You honor me with your lips and your external behavior, but inside your real worship, he says, it's a farce. Your translation might say it's in vain. It is empty. You are pretending you're an actor. And what Isaiah was telling the Israelites then and prophesying about the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to now is you are going through the motions, but your worship has, your heart is not in your worship. There's no relationship in this worship. It's a sham. And Jesus gives them an example, one of the things that they do to to contradict God's word. Look at what he says. Um, Because, let me say this first. Jesus said that does God, hold on, I skipped that part, rewind. All right, God desires to be worshiped from the heart. This was the heart of the law. In Deuteronomy, God sums this up. He says this, you know this verse, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And when Jesus was asked, he said, what is the greatest commandment? How did he sum it up? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That, That it's a worship from the heart that, that evidences itself in love toward God and love toward others. It's a hard issue. And what he's going to show here is an example of the Pharisees violating this command. Is this? He said, "You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your tradition. Again, tradition being elevated over God's law. Now look at the example. It says, for instance, Moses gave you this law from God." Honor your father and mother. Remember, that's the fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. And then he quotes Exodus 21. He says this, anyone who speaks disrespectfully of mother or father must be put to death. Did you hear that? You disrespect mom and dad, and it's capital punishment. Kids, are you not glad you live in the age of grace, right? Can you imagine? Man, Dad's an idiot, right? You're just like, done. That would be insane. The heart of this rule, the, the heart, as, as the heart of the whole law was, is to love your parent as yourself. To respect them, to obey them, and as they grow older, one of the ways that you express that is to take care of them. See, loving God is loving other people. If I love God with all of my heart, I will love other people with all my heart. You can't get the vertical without the horizontal. It's a package deal. But here, here's what the Pharisees did. And here's how they ignored the heart of this law. Look at this. He says, but you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you, disregard, uh, their, in this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. Now, let me explain what he's saying here. This is a thing they called Corbin. And your translation might have used that word Corban in it. He says, Corban means given to God. So so here's what they would say. You you could declare anything, any of your possessions, your money, your belongings, you could say Corban and declare that that would be given to God. So in, in light of taking care of their aging parents, what they could say is mom and dad, I know you're getting on an age. I I know that you're not able to meet your own needs. Um, I, I know that I should come along and help you, give you some financial support. But I already called this Corbin, I already dedicated it to God, so I can't give you this money. Now, to make this even shadier, this was a deferred gift. So, so what this means is that in the meantime, they, they, could, they, they had pledged it to God, but they didn't actually have to give it to him. So their whole life, they could keep it and, and manage it and do whatever they wanted with it. The idea being, when they died, then it would go to God. How generous. And really, what had the Pharisees done here? They had just found a loophole. They find a loophole to say that they didn't have to give their money to anyone else. And tradition says the Pharisees would do this all the time. They would just walk around saying, Corbin, 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 saying this is this is going to God. Wouldn't that be sweet to do that? Your PFD comes rolling in, Corbin, sorry, can't give it to the church, can't give it to the needy, it's Corbin, paycheck every week. Corbin, right? Car Corbin, everything your kids, Cor I mean, you start labeling everything Corbin and keep it for yourself. And this is what Jesus says to them. This is harsh says so, so you cancel the word of god in order to hand down your own traditions and this is only one example among many other this is i'm just getting started you do this all over the place you are negating the heart of god's word god's intent and purpose for you because make no mistake what was god's command to love and they are not loving their parents this isn't about giving money to god this is greed This is them wanting to keep money for themselves and declaring that it was given to God. It's outward acting. It's hypocritical worship. And I can't tell you how many church leaders fall into this trap. People who are so busy doing church activity and in the meantime completely neglecting the ones in their own home that they've been called to love talking to a pastor who had, on the outside, what looked like the most successful church he had ever had, hundreds and hundreds of people being added every month. And he said, I'll tell you what, there was no bigger regret in all of my career because I was spending 80 or 90 hours a week doing church things and completely neglecting my wife and my children, and I'm still paying the price to this day. Are we claiming that we're doing things for God in the meantime, ignoring the heart, which is to worship and love him and others? So worship is a heart issue. But here's the problem. You and I, we have sinful hearts. We have hearts, listen to me, that are completely incapable of worshiping God rightly and loving our neighbor as ourselves problem is the heart and that's where Jesus goes next he's going to show us that sin is a heart issue sin is a heart issue we have to ask ourselves this question and this is huge we said the problem determines the solution so we have to ask where does evil come from some of the parents were like Disney (laughs) yeah you've seen the YouTube clips you know exactly what I'm talking about right hollywood right we kind of paint it when in doubt you say it all or, 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 originates from Nikiski, right i saw the petties here today here we go <laughs> just teasing because i love um we, we often we, we paint this picture i hear from pastors a lot this language of like it's us versus the world like the evil is out there and we all need to huddle up in here with our precious moment dolls and just try to stay away from the evil that's out there in the world and we kind of treat it, I was thinking of like the game Pac-Man, right? You ever play Pac-Man? And, and it's like the, the sin is those ghosts. And you're just trying to evade. You're doing your little Pac-Man thing, eating the fruit, just minding your own business and trying to stay away from the sinful ghosts that are chasing you down. That the sin is out here. But the problem is the evil is inside of you, Pac-Man, right? Do not let that smiley yellow face deceive you. Pac-Man is pure evil. The sin is inside of me. This is exactly what Jesus tells the Pharisees. He said, it is is not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. It's not what goes in. It's what's already inside of me. He says, for from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. How many of those have come out of my heart this week? He says, all these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. He says, man, what makes you unclean is not the food that you eat, it's not the people that you bump into in the marketplace, it is your own sinful heart. And remember, where we see the problem coming from determines our solution. So if we think that evil is from without, if we think evil is out there, then like the Pharisees, our solution is going to be to build fences, to make rules, to shield ourselves from the outside evil. So, for example, if the problem determines the solution. Think about one of those from the list. Let's grab sexual immorality. Okay? The, the word here, the Greek word is pornia. So that's where we get the word pornography. Basically, the word here, he's saying about anything, that it's sex outside of God's intent. It's sex out of bounds. Any sexual pleasure that you find that is not the way that God intended for it to be enjoyed. Now listen, if the problem is external, okay, so here's the the sin, sexual immorality. If the problem is external, then we're going to make some rules to try to avoid the sin. So we could simply say what the law says, do not commit adultery. So if I don't sleep with another person's spouse, then I'm not going to be sexually immoral. But Jesus busted that all up when he said in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, man, you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. It's the same thing in God's eyes. So it's not just the physical act outside of marriage. So we go, okay, I got to add another rule. Don't look at pornography. But, but i got to keep adding rules. Okay, I'm going to put a password on my computer so that I can't, unless my spouse logs me in, I can't look at that. Now that's a good idea. But what we find is that we still have the capability of lusting. Because it doesn't just have to be at a computer. I could be looking at another person. So we make another rule. Don't look at people. And I'm walking around. I can't. I'm sorry. I'm going to lust. And I'm just bumping into things. I mean, you, you, you see the point here. The point is that I don't need a laptop, I don't need a website, I, I don't even need another person to lust. The sexual morality is in my heart, and in a room all by myself with no one around and my eyes shut, I can still commit the sin of lust and sexual immorality. Now, I want to be clear here <laughs> is, it, is it good to remove barriers? Absolutely. So is it wise at times to put a password on your computer? Because you know that when I'm by myself, I do not have the self-control right now to use that thing in a way that would glorify God, 100%. And if you know, man, I can't, I mean, I have this smartphone and I don't have the discipline right now. If I own this, I know where it's going. Jesus said it's better to throw that smartphone away than to commit that sin. Yes, go to extremes, but know that those are symptoms and at the end of the day, the problem is my heart and so the solution needs to be the heart. God demands worship from the heart. But I have a corrupt heart incapable of worshiping God. And Jesus says, I know. That's why I came. See, salvation is a heart issue. Salvation is not, it's not a checklist. Okay? We don't go through these externals and go, okay, man, I gotta go to church this time, this many times a week. I gotta tithe this amount of dollars a week. I gotta read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Is that the only the one that knows that song? Okay. Maybe my mom made that up. I don't know. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang out with girls who do, right? And you continue to add these Russian dolls over top, over top, over top to protect myself from the external evil and to gain favor with God. But listen, there are people who attend church faithfully every single week tithe their gross, not even their net alone. There are people who are doing very nice things, who are not doing very bad things, who are washing their hands every time before they eat, and they are going to hell. Why? Because the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. I don't need a Band-Aid, I need a heart transplant. I don't need Febreze to contain the stink. I need the garbage in my heart to be removed. Because the reality is, man, we can go through the motions in worship. Like, we can be here today. We can be in our seat. You can be listening to me. We can be worshiping together. How great is our God. Sing with me how great. And we can... We can go through the external motions. Here's your stupid tithe check, right? We can get up every morning. My eyes can physically hit the page of the Bible. There we go. Check that off the list. God's happy with me. I did my We can go through the motions. But does that honor God? Does that worship from the heart? You know what kind of worship I think God, that does honor God? Look at this story. It's an incredible story. We're talking about the Pharisees. There's this parable Luke tells In chapter 18, it's the the tax collector and and the Pharisee. Remember, tax collectors looked down upon as these sinful, sinful people. Pharisees, of course, religious top of the pyramid. So Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. So there's there's these people, and and he's talking to the Pharisees, these people who say, man, uh, look at what I've done. Look at the external things. Look at the fences I've built. Look at my behavior. God's going to accept me because of that. And this is what he had to say. This is the story he told. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed like this, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I am certainly not like that tax collector. He says, I, fi- I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. This man is looking at his externals to be accepted before God. And then here comes this sinful tax collector. The tax collector stood at a distance, dared not even lift his eyes to heaven. As he prayed, instead he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus wraps it up. He says, I tell you this, not it, th- this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. See, that sinner knew how to worship. That sinner understood the the holy God that he was approaching. That sinner understood how unholy, how unworthy he was. He understood the depths of his, not his outward sins, but his own sinful, garbage heart. And he understood that the only way to enter into God's presence. The only way to have a relationship with him was by the mercy that God would show him, that God would provide a way for him to be saved. And I had my own tax collector moment this week. It's Monday morning. I was reading my Bible, and I had stayed up late the night before watching Cowboys game on DVR, my own dumb choices. So I'm tired And you know, I'm sitting there trying to read and I'm nodding off. I'm like, man, I gotta do something different. I stood up and I put some headphones in. I'm listening to some worship, I was listening to the song Lion and the Lamb. We're gonna sing that at the end of the service today if I quit talking. And I'm listening to this song it's singing about this lion of Judah. And it's this line that says, Who can stop the Lord Almighty? And I'm like, Yeah. I got all these enemies, I got all these things, and God is conquering them like a lion. Man, God is amazing. And then as I'm singing this song, I don't know how my mind even drifted here, but I started thinking about other people in my life. And I'm just like, I'm ripping them apart in my mind. And I'm, I'm just thinking these really negative, sinful thoughts, putting people down, ripping people up. And all of a sudden, like, I realize as I'm singing this song, how wicked my heart is. And I'm thinking, this lion of Judah did not come to, de- to devour the enemy out there, but to conquer my own sinful heart. And this lamb that came to be slain, it was not for these enemies uh, in foreign soil. It It was to die in place of my own sinful heart. I should have been the one on that cross, and it broke me. And I'm sitting there on my bed. I mean, I'm an emotional robot most of the time, and I am just weeping before my God. Jesus, I am a wreck, and I need you. And I started singing that song, I need you, I need you every hour, I need you. Without you, I have no hope. And I'll tell you, it was one of the most genuine moments of worship I've had in in months. And this is why God gave the law. Not to give Israel a bunch of external rules to follow. Not to stay away from the dirt and the Gentiles from without. It was to show them how far they had fallen short. And how there was nothing they could do to gain his favor. Because the problem was them. The problem is me and there is no other hope than for the desperate cry that they would look forward that one day a deliverer would come to rescue them and church he has come and he has rescued us see the the, the problem determines the solution and and, and this prophecy back in ezekiel they spoke to this this deliverer was going to come and here's what he was going to do not give you a bunch of rules It says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. How? It says, here's the process. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn, disobedient, lustful, garbage heart and I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you. Why? So that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. The only way that we can worship God rightly, love our neighbor rightly, is if we get a new heart. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do, to give us a new heart. And, and Titus, Luke, uh, Jesus, uh, Paul says this He saved us. Jesus saved us. How? Not because of the righteous things we've done, not because of the fences we built, <clears throat> not because of my externals. But because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. You see, we said the problem determines the solution. And where's the Pharisee in you? Man, are are you trying to spray the trash can with your good works? Are you trying to impress God by your rule keeping? Or are we fully relying on Jesus to have mercy on a sinner like me? You see, God must be worshipped with our whole heart. The issue is we can't worship at all because our hearts are completely sinful. Therefore, what you and I need is not behavior modification. It's not just to change the things that we do, but we need to be saved from ourselves. We need new lives. We need Jesus. And we've been given Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. I confess that so often I'm, I'm trying to approach you by comparing myself to other people, just convincing myself that I'm better than my neighbor. Um, I'm looking to my, my church attendance and I'm looking to my, my good deeds, my external things, to somehow woo you into believing I'm good enough to enter into your presence so that I have something to boast about. But God, give us the grace to see ourselves, to see you accurately and to see ourselves in light of you accurately. That we would understand the problem is not out there. The problem's in me. The problem is my own heart, and there's nothing I can do to conquer my sinful heart. Lord, may we be a people who believe that Jesus came to this earth to die in our place and to remove our old, stony, stubborn, sinful, disobedient heart, and to give us a new heart his own heart that beats for you. Jesus is good. Jesus obeys you. Jesus loves other people. And it's only by you giving us him that we can be the people that you've called us to be. We don't deserve to be talking to you right now. You shouldn't be listening to me. But because of Jesus, we can come into your presence in this gym and we can sing songs to you and we can speak to you and we can hear from your word that we can have a relationship with you because of of Jesus. Father, may we see that we are sinners, sinners that need a Savior, sinners that have been given a Savior, and throw this, this, this human fully upon the finished work of Jesus. He's the one that we need. He's the one that you've given us. May we be fully satisfied in the person of Jesus and Jesus alone. It's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen.